Whether you are the candidate or the one doing the hiring, all of us can relate to being in a job interview scenario. For many, it's a nerve-wracking situation with sweaty palms, ums and ahs, and the classic request of tell us about your weaknesses. Now, imagine that AI is in the interviewer's chair, assessing you for the job. Sounds even worse, right? Well, for AI-powered video hiring software interviewer.ai, the introduction of AI stands to make improvements for both participants in this often stressful scenario. In today's episode of the Brains Bite Back podcast, we'll hear from Sunny Sarab, co-founder and CEO of interviewer.ai, to understand why he believes AI interviewing is the next step forward for hiring and how it looks to complement the current system of hiring with humans rather than outsourcing it entirely. We discuss how interviewer.ai works and how it looks to advance scalability, objectivity, and speed in the hiring process. Sunny breaks down how the software screens your resumes and scores them, does a skills assessment test, and conducts pre-screen video interviews before you even meet the first candidate. With this in mind, Sunny explains how the first level of candidates are screened using the software so you can deal with the top level candidates out of hundreds of applications. Now, if you like this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and some other Brains Bite Back episodes just like this that you can check out are software that predicts employee burnout through language, neuroplasticity, why learning shouldn't always be a linear process, and the science behind learning soft skills and hard skills with the neuroscience specialist, Todd Maddox. But now on with today's episode. My name's Sam Breakgear and you're listening to Brains Bite Back your podcast exploring the intersection between psychology and technology. Disclosure, this episode contains a client of an Espacio portfolio company. So I'm Sunny. I'm a second time founder with over a decade of working with uh, technology companies like Google and LinkedIn in Asia, when, when they just started out in Asia. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of interviewer.ai, an AI-powered video hiring software. Um, which saves you a ton of time and money while hiring the top deserving candidates from anywhere across the world. Um, we now have over 500 customers, including uh, businesses, staffing agencies, and universities around the world across time zones. So it's a pretty exciting time to be in. Um, what sets interviewer.ai apart is that it's an all-in-one recruitment software that can screen your resumes and score them do skill assessment tests and pre-screen video interviews even before you uh, have met the first candidate. So it just provides you data-driven insights to help you um, just invest your quality time. Yeah, I had a look on your website and I was really impressed because like you said, the data-driven insights are are really insightful, it seems. And um, Mm -hmm. I would really love to kick off by starting with a better understanding of how interviewer.ai works. And I can, like I mentioned, I can see on your website that the AI rates the candidates on key success factors, such as sociability, professionalism, energy levels, and communication. Now, can you explain how each of these factors are assessed, please? Sure, sure, Sam. So historically, any application tracking system that you find anywhere around the world Uh, They start with resumes, and then from, say, X number of resumes, let's say 100, um, they shortlist three to five candidates for an interview. Now, what you miss out in that whole sifting process is the the nonverbal cues. Um, So 
and you're a student of psychology, you, you understand verbal and non-verbal cues, right? Yeah. During an interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, there's this uh, rule by Albert Mehrabian, which is called the 738-55 rule, um, which means that in any, uh, say, two-way communication, 7% uh, of meaning is communicated through the spoken word, 38% is through tone of voice, and 55% is through body language. Um, so these things are totally missed when you're doing your resume screening um, and trying to arrive at the best candidates for an interview. And that's probably one of the reasons why uh, people take two months to fill a role. Um, what we do is we have an explainable AI approach where we assess these skills. Um, and what we do is we look at things like uh, the base clarity of communication. We look at whether somebody is collaborative. Um, so if you're using a lot of I did this, I did that, which means um, you're less of a, of a team player um, than when you say we and as a team, et cetera. So these are some of the cues that you can gather uh, by just recording a response, recording the video as to how you express and, and, and your words. So yeah, and then, and then what we do is we just stack rank all the candidates, not just on the, on the video, audio, and what, you, what you've spoken, but also how does your resume uh, stack rank against the job description. Do you have the right skills for that job? Uh, we do have something called a work map assessment where we just map uh, what the work requires and uh, do you have the skills for it or not? Um, yeah, so that's how we do it. That's awesome. I think that I love the fact that you broke that down into the percentages because in my mind, I was thinking like, yeah, we interpret all of this. And for humans, I feel like it, it comes up or it shows itself in our minds or our psychology is like a gut feeling. We can't always put mm-hmm. our finger on where we get something from or why we feel a certain way about something, but we interpret all these things through body language, like you said, through tone of voice, perhaps through the words mm-hmm. they say, and, and it gives us an overall gut feeling, but it sounds like what you're doing is almost taking that process of developing a gut feeling and putting it into data where you can see like, Oh, like this person's good for this, or I get this impression from them because of this. And you can almost like dissect why they're giving you this, this sensation or this feeling. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, when we talk about a gut feeling, we're talking about the gut feeling of one. Um, when you look at a system like interviewer.ai, where you have say a thousand hiring managers, you take all of that data, look at how, how many people were shortlisted to what are the patterns you can you can discover for different roles across geographies? And you've just taken data-driven insights of say a hundred hiring managers, the power of hundred against one one's gut feeling, um, and and just make uh, better decisions, you know, uh, better hiring decisions. That's what we're doing with this. Yeah, that reminds me of a quote which I really like and it was brought up before on this podcast I first heard it on this podcast and I can't remember exactly how it goes but um, Mm -hmm. it says something along the lines of like some people have their opinion or everyone has their opinion and we have data and uh, Mm -hmm. as much as like I think obviously people's opinions are important I think uh, as someone that really likes like um, I suppose objective information or objective uh, analyses and I'm pretty sure you're probably the same. Um, I really like that, yeah. the fact that data can provide that. And like you said, it's not one person you're relying on. It's something much larger than that. Sure. So uh, if I had just to, just to name three, uh, they are scalability, 
uh, objectivity and speed. So with scalability, you're able to interview every single candidate. And we cannot take this phrase lightly because you know companies like say Google, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Amazon, they get millions and millions of applicants each year. Um, there's no way you can interview every single application by, by deploying human recruiters and hiring managers, right? So how do you interview everyone? Uh, you have to use technology. So that's the scalability that we bring in as a platform. Uh, the second is objectivity. Um, now, there is ample research to prove that resume alone is not a great predictor of future job performance. Um, and, and mostly because you rely, uh, when you look at a resume, you're relying on two things, your past experience and um, academic qualifications. And both have, both have been uh, proven on research after research to be poor predictors of future job performance. Um, what has been better predictors of job performance are uh, gender mental ability, structured interviews, which companies like Google um, and LinkedIn have been doing it for ages, like for 10 years. It's now, now with you know, tools like ours, um, tools like interview.ai that you can bring that objectivity uh, across uh, companies of, of different sizes. Um, and lastly, speed. I mean, if, if I'm running a business um, and I have to hire three people across the US, Europe, um, I do not have the time to go through uh, 50 applicants. Uh, you put a one job on LinkedIn, you have something called easy apply now. Um, you get hundreds and hundreds of applications. Who's got the time to go through it? Um, so how do you stack rank them basis the skills you want? And um, if you decide later that your requirements change and you change your skills, can the stack rank change? So that's basically you know, the, the beauty of platform, uh, a platform like ours. And I think it's gonna be the future of recruitment. Yeah, it definitely seems necessary, especially when you have so many people applying for one job. And in the face of the pandemic, I, I know things are more or less like, making a recovery but i know that like jobs were difficult to come by a lot of people lost their jobs a lot of people were applying for jobs and new jobs so i like when you do have one job and you've got hundreds of people or potentially even thousands applying you're absolutely right it's just not feasible by human standards to just go through and sift all of them realistically without risking like missing someone that's perfect for the job mm -hmm. I also say like one thing I've noticed, I've never actually hired anyone. Uh, maybe it'll happen. I've never really been in a position where I've wanted to or needed to. However, one thing that I do know from having superiors that do hire people frequently, it does seem to be one of the most stressful parts of their job. So I think having the ability to outsource that or at least make it more efficient sounds like it would do wonders for yeah many people in many positions across a lot of companies. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So in Singapore, um, I was working at LinkedIn and I had to hire for Hong Kong and Australia. Uh, I was hiring for my team, uh, a solutions consultant role. And both, you know, both locations are so different culturally. And I'm sitting here in Singapore. How do I, how do I make that judgment based on a few resumes? So it's really, really hard. Um, it's really tough. And that's, that's why I thought um, we'd, we'd create interview.ai. Awesome. Well, my next question, like it more focuses on, I suppose, a drawback, uh, which I'd really like to get your thoughts on, because we know that AI inherits the biases of humans. 
So how can AI objectively rate candidates without picking up these biases? Yeah, so this has been um, something that we've been concerned with day one, you know, and um, I don't know how much you follow the HR tech space, but there are so many different algorithms that predict um, top, top hires. Um, but we have to accept the fact that hiring by nature is subjective. Um, you being in a hiring manager's position versus me or, or five other people would, would choose different candidates from the same pool of ap applicants. Um, because you would have a different understanding of your team's requirements, which, which you need in, in your team versus me or somebody else. So it is subjective and we have to understand there's no uh, silver bullet uh, where you can just say, all right, here's the system and here's the number one candidate, hire this person. So how do you um, take away that bias, right? So um, what we do is we have realized that recruiters do not completely understand the hiring manager's needs. Um, so how, why don't we rely more on the hiring manager's data? as to who they shortlist, who they hire, and what happens in six months. Do they still rate them as a good performer? Do they still retain them after a year, two years? So this process is going to take a few years for us. But uh, when you rely on the hiring managers data, they are performers. They, that's not somebody who impressed during an interview or impressed the recruiter or came through a connection or a referral. Um, it's somebody who's doing a job. And so we need to get that rating right. And, um, and we want to collect this across hiring managers, across the world, uh, across job functions, across industries. And it might take us five years to get, um, get to do this scalably across all roles uh, globally, right? But I think we'll get there. Um, so I think that the answer to this question is like, you, you have to take it from an explainable AI approach rather than a black box AI approach as to um, just let the system do the calculations. Let's, let the, let's just trust the algorithm. I don't think that will work ever. Hopefully you're enjoying the show. And if you are, make sure you subscribe and never miss an episode. You can find us on all your usual podcast sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and a whole lot more, including YouTube. And we want to hear what you think. So be sure to leave us a review. Just search Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. I like what you said when you mentioned about obviously like looking back to see which candidates did well and then where they were later in six or however so months ahead or in the future. I mean, there's a saying, and I don't always like it that much because it's very deterministic, but I think it is true. And it certainly has a strong element of truth where they say the past is the best predictor of the future. And I think mm -hmm. that when it comes to collecting data, that definitely has to be you know, an important factor to consider. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? Um, you'll notice that, that if you were a top performer um, in a similar role, like a sales manager, for example, and we hire you based on that, uh, you might not really do well simply because you've been there, done that. It's not exciting to you anymore. Um, you might want to take up a new challenge. But your behavior, um, that's what we kind of, you know, assess during, uh, during the assessment exercise. It's like, are you a go-getter? Are you ambitious? Are you, are you really passionate about something that you are um, looking for? 
these things are determined during an interview. And uh, I think we do a decent enough job to do a pre-screen interview before you even invest your time. So I think there's something there that today it doesn't exist in the recruitment um, process. And I think we need to make it the default way of uh, hiring uh, in the near future. I can understand the importance of that. Yeah, for sure. Now, on a similar note, like, do you see any other drawbacks to using AI for hiring? And how can these issues potentially be remedied, would you say? So um, uh, there, is, there are a few examples in the past. I know uh, if your listeners do follow uh, what happened at, say, Amazon, where they had to just shut down a system because um, it was kind of working against uh, uh, female candidates. Um, just because you enter data where you know 80% of the, the top performers at Amazon were male, uh, the system said, okay, gender is not important. <laughs> so you have an unfair behavior when you look at artificial intelligence and machine learning systems. Uh, there's another company called HireView that does video interviews and they, they're gonna shut down their system in the US um, as, as early as December of this year simply because again, they went through an audit and it was um, not fair towards to the colored population. Um, so we need to ensure that we take global data sets and we need to ensure that it's trained um, to be unbiased towards age, gender or skin color. I, I completely agree. There's, there's definitely an issue with uh, what you said with Amazon and it's kind of like just looking at data alone but I suppose that's where the human touch comes in, right? That's where someone has to, like, a human has to come in and see what's going on. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but AI won't be able to correct that or notice it itself, would it? Uh, absolutely. So that's where uh, we, the, the AI that we use is called explainable AI, uh, which refers to a term where human beings are able to easily comprehend through dynamically generated graphs or just sexual descriptions, the path the artificial intelligence technology took to make a decision. So it's explainable in the sense that you can go to a supplier. So how did you arrive at this decision? And we are very open to feedback where sometimes, you know, um, uh, a hiring manager or a, or a business has made the call of hiring somebody that was say number 10 or number 11 uh, in the list. And we are like, hey, uh, you know, give us some feedback. Why, why didn't you take the number one, number two, number three, and all, all these. And they would bring an insight that, um, which we had not thought. And I don't think any AI can solve for. So for example, there's some uh, customer of ours who is in the gaming industry. They had a customer success person in Latin America. And uh, this person had worked for IBM for 10 years. Uh, but he was also a guitarist. So he, he had the creative side as well. And they loved it about him. Um, and they hired him. And, and it's like, no AI can say that, all right, um, yeah, you, you have the skill sets, but oh, you also are creative. So we should give you bonus points. It doesn't work that way, right? Uh, but they, they loved that the platform were, was able to give them all the attributes of different people and uh, they were able to choose who would they spend time for face-to-face -face interviews. So uh, the technology can all, only do this much. And what we are proposing with our system is uh, just the top of the funnel uh, first level screening. So you know who to spend 
uh, your time with, the five to six candidates that you should find, uh, spend the time with. Uh, it's not making a hiring decision for you. It's just taking away the repetitive time consuming or the boring tasks, uh, so to say. Yeah, I think that's a reoccurring theme that we find whenever we have a topic related to AI, regardless of what sense it's being used in. It should never really be left alone completely. There always seems to be um, the best or most optimum results whenever AI is merged with humans in a way so that it works as a tool to collaborate and assist. And much like you said, it, it does all the, the dirty work of trying to sift through all those candidates uh, to start with. And then obviously the human element can come in and um, yeah, add, add the necessary parts that come with that. Now, I did actually see on your website that you have an option for candidates specifically. So correct me if I'm wrong, but does this mean interviewer.ai software can be used for candidates to practice for interviews and receive feedback? Um, absolutely. So um, I think we are one of the only platforms out there that transparently shares the AI assessment feedback directly with the candidates after the interview. Um, and I think that's, that's the future. So we don't talk about it much because we are focused uh, on the B2B side of our business. Um, but going forward, what we want to be able to do is for a candidate who has applied for a, a role within a company, we want to tell them not only why they were shortlisted and why they weren't shortlisted, um, but what, what is the feedback? How can, could they have performed better? Because globally, you, you chat with any, any company. In the UK, it's even tougher to give feedback. Recruiters don't want to give feedback because they can be sued in, 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 in the courts. Um, um, so people do not give feedback to candidates. And I've seen, like, uh, I was talking to a, a business this morning, 300 candidates, they selected four for interviews. And I'm like, how many candidates did you give feedback? It's like uh, not even uh, the, the four. Uh, they just chose the number one and they just hired him and they just put it in the system as are the reasons why they, were, they hired him. So just one feedback out of 300. I think that's very unfair to every candidate. And that's why we do this. We transparently share how do they compare with other applicants during the job. But more importantly, if they are not shortlisted, what are the other three or four jobs where we can guarantee a face-to-face -face interview? Um, we do not, uh, we cannot guarantee them a job because it has other factors like salary, whether you're interested in that role um, and other things, whether you're interested to move into that location, et cetera, right? It's a very, very personal preference uh, and, and uh, choice. Um, but what we can do is we can help them find jobs based on just one application that they did for some other um, company uh, and, and they didn't make it. So it's going to get more and more candidate-centric uh, uh, as, as a platform in future. That's good because, yeah, I think whenever you want to improve in anything, regardless of what it is, you, of course, need feedback because otherwise you're just stuck in a, a constant cycle of making the same mistakes until, until you realize that you're making them. But, I mean, there's no point reinventing the wheel. It's far better to have someone to tell you you're making them and um, yeah. clearly, yeah, like this, this offers a, a tool for that. So that's great news. And I want to move a little bit away um, 
from your company and what you do specifically and ask you a more like general <laughs> question. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on like where you see recruitment in 10 years time. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's really exciting. Um, I think I would, I would like to start with that we are living in the future now. Um, just yesterday on our team meeting, on our weekly team meeting, I realized that 80% of my staff, I've never met them in person. Um, so this is becoming, going to be uh, uh, the future. Remote working is going to be the future. Today, roughly 6% of jobs globally are, are remote, but that would grow by 10x. Maybe it would be 60% would be remote jobs uh, and only 40% you'd be on premise. So that, I, I see that change and, and we are living in that future right now. Uh, the other uh, prediction I think I, I can safely make is that nine to five jobs will be replaced uh, by flexible working hours um, and, and workplaces, the way what we call offices will, be, uh, will become meeting places. You just go there to block some time to collaborate, to brainstorm, to do your quarterly business strategies and reviews, but it won't be somewhere where you, you know, hop on a, uh, I don't know what you call it there, but MRT is here, a metro or a train or a shuttle, and you're going every day to the same rut. Uh, I, I know that the traffic from San Francisco to Mountain View is, is crazy busy. Like it can take you two hours to just reach the Google office. Um, so all of that is just gonna go away. Uh, I don't think it's gonna exist in, in 10 years. And lastly, um, uh, we will be completely moving to a skill-based uh, digital economy. So university degrees, I don't think will make sense in 10 years. It will be more about certifications that you get um, online um, or, or any, any courses that you wanna take. And um, you, you will be entering something called a lifelong learning era. So it's not gonna be your education is not gonna end at 21 years. Um, I mean, some, some people might not like it. They would love, uh, love for college and, and studies to end, but I think it will keep people younger because the more you exercise your brain and you work continuously um, to improve and learn and use your creative juices, I think you stay younger and live longer. That's just exciting. Yeah, I, I think... I think you're right. Keeping your brain active and awake is definitely a fantastic way of living longer and mentally just staying younger. And as well, I think that I, I definitely seen that that's, that's one of the things that I've noticed from my own perspective in the past 10 years. So I started university 10 years ago, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I would say that at that time I had the mentality of like, oh, the process is you go to university, you graduate, and then you get a job. Whereas now I think I would advise like any of my younger siblings or anyone that's young listening to this and contemplating whether or not to go to university, I would just say to them, like, do you really need it? Because there's not only there's there's not only the fact that you could just spend that time directly going into a job and learning elsewhere. There's also the other things that come with it, like the debt as well. Um, so to be able to like have you know, after three years three years of experience and be paid for that versus three years of education and be heavily in debt it just it doesn't make sense as much anymore um so i think you're you're definitely right on that and with regards to um being more remote and also flexible hours i mean i'm 100 percent on board i think we've seen the the pandemic put that on like steroids that growth or that shift mm -hmm. 
and I, I fully support it. I've got more time to be at home with my girlfriend and my cat, so <laughs> I'm fully on board. <laughs> awesome. You're living the dream, actually. You're living the future right now. <laughs> it's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. But um, I did have one last question for you, and that is if any of our listeners find themselves in a situation where they are being interviewed for a job by interviewer, interviewer.ai software, and what advice do you have for them, Sonny? Uh, sure, Sam. So, I mean, we work with the top universities here in Singapore to uh, train students, final year grads, for exactly the same thing um, with mock interviews. So I, I would say that you need to understand your physical and technical environments. The people who get really confused with uh, a one-way interview where you're just recording your video response, there's nobody at the other end to, to give you feedback and, and, and really drive that energy. So... Uh, you have to be confident. You have to ensure there's no background noise. Um, your, your sound systems work properly. Your camera is not hazy. Um, you have a good, good camera, those kind of things. Very, very simple um, technical uh, details. Um, and then you need to structure your response to the time limit uh, because most companies uh, put you on a, say, a one-minute to a three-minute time slot where you're able to respond so you need to ensure that you you say your points quickly and and uh, uh, very very you know in a structured way um, and but just not focus on what you say right your tone of voice and your body language uh, should should also come out strongly the way um, uh, you know you are trying to deliver the message um, so those kind of things and. Um, if, if it, there's nothing to be scared about, but um, uh, but I, I think today uh, you should also be very picky about the roles you want to pursue because the life has life has changed dramatically after the pandemic and and, and during the pandemic uh, is still going on. Uh, it's a talent-driven market right now. So in Singapore, there are uh, 163 jobs for every hundred candidates, and in the U.S., I've seen that there are a million more jobs than there are candidates. Uh, largely in say restaurants and nursing and those areas, but still there are jobs. So um, you need to be very, very careful about the career choice you make in the next, uh, uh, for your next two to three years, because um, uh, with remote working, there's no work-life balance. It's, you need to get into this work-life harmony, just like you know Sam just, just spoke about, right? So <laughs> it's, you're living it, I, I, I believe every, Every person uh, who's looking for employment should understand that this has to uh, be your life, you know, so that harmony is very important in how you pursue your next three to five years. Yeah, definitely. And I think that those workplaces that value that, which say, which kind of like have that firmly cemented into their culture, like, for example, like we don't send emails or we don't communicate about work related topics past like 6 p.m or before 8 p.m., mm -hmm. like 8 a.m., I think those ones would um, really have an advantage because you're right, we can now work anywhere at any time. And there's that risk of constantly feeling like you have to be on, you have to be online, you have to be alert and ready to respond. But that's not going to foster the, the best mental health or the best work ethic, I think. So, um, yeah, it's, I think harmony is the perfect word you use there to sum that up. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. We were, we were speaking with some of the recruiters and they end to be, end up, a lot of our recruiter clients end up to be, you know, women who have kids 
and, and a dog and a husband at home. And it's very hard for them to work during the, the nine to six hours, right? There's so much distraction to just do 10 interview calls and, and they love our software because once they've taken care of everything, they're a peace of mind at 11 p.m. at night, they can look and scan through the candidates and, and just pass on to the hiring managers. So it's just how you're productive and how you manage your time. It's gonna be super crucial and important um, in, the, in the near future. Yeah, I suppose on reflection, my example wasn't that good since it was a classic nine to five kind of example. But I think you yeah, you you nailed it with uh, the the ability to almost like dictate your own time or your own schedule and put it into hours that fit and work for you. Because I mean, yeah, I have coworkers that I work with and they have that exact situation where they've got to go pick up the kids or they've got to do certain family stuff and they they factor yeah. in their schedule around that. And, you know, you just make it work and it, it does work better for everyone in that way. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it works for your requirements. It works for people who have, you know, other responsibilities. It's it's just a new way of working. And, mm. and I think it's going to be, it's there to stay. Yeah, 100%. Now, Sunny, we've come to the end of our show, but I really want to know if people want to speak to you or reach out to you, follow you, or keep up with the work that you folks are doing at interviewer.ai. How can they do that? Um, you can just, uh, you know, interviewer.ai is our website feel free to reach out to us. I'm also available on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, or feel free to write to me at sunny at interviewer.ai. And we'd be happy to um, see how we can help. Um, yeah, and, and then the beauty about where we live today is this conversation that we are having and pretty much anything wasn't, wasn't possible 10 years ago. So people are working in across the world together and I think it's a fantastic time to realize. So if we can help in any way, we can collaborate, uh, help you out, um, things like that, please feel free to reach out to me and then we'll see how to take this forward with. Sounds good. Thank you for today's conversation, Sonny. Thanks, Sam. It was uh, delightful to have this conversation with you. And, and yeah, hope, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Sounds good. Growing a company has many hurdles, from securing funding to expanding your business capabilities to ranking better on search, each business challenge is uniquely complex. The solution to these challenges is growth-focused digital PR and marketing, and that's where our sponsor Publicize comes in. Publicize sets itself apart from traditional PR companies. It does not charge large retainers or churns out press releases whether you've got a newsworthy announcement or not. Publicize builds on your business's online presence and gets high quality PR and media coverage for startups and entrepreneurs who are priced out of a broken PR industry. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive a social media assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash bbb. That's publicize.co slash bbb. This is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this and you want to hear more episodes just like it, then follow and subscribe to Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube under the channel of our publication, The Sociable. Just search Brains Bite Back and you'll find all of our episodes there. We really love hearing what you have to say. So leave us a review on iTunes or on any other podcasting platform to let us know what you think. 
You can also reach out on Twitter at, at The Sociable. And finally, go to sociable.co where you can find all our episodes and plenty of articles on topics just like this. Thanks again for joining us and until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you.